really good to have you here. And uh, one of the values that uh, I've seen in my mother is her generous spirit to me. She has uh, been someone who is constantly sacrificed and given for her family. And so we thank you uh, for being here, mothers. We, uh, we're kind of uh, doing a series right now called Everything. And uh, we're really looking that if anything is in the way of me and God, then it affects everything in our relationship with God. And so we're looking at what, what could it look like if everything was centered around that relationship with Jesus, where we treasure him, where we, we become rich in that relationship with God, not just in, not in material things, and where we really understand where it's better to give than to receive. And uh, we're going to be taking a look at two churches this morning, the church in Corinth and then the church in Macedonia. And Paul called the church in Corinth in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, turn there while I'm talking, but uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he called the church in Corinth to say, hey, I need you to help out with the church in Jerusalem. They're under a famine right now and people are starving. Would you give over and above to meet their need? And he called them to do that in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This is, he even gave them a method on how to do that. Let, let's read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 uh, through 4. It says, now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper or according to his income, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry out your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Let's just pause there. It looks like it's just kind of a footnote to his book. But what he's really calling them into is to be a church of generosity. And look at that. He says, participate, participate in being generous. Give uh, prioritize, give your first on the first day of the week. They got paid on the last day of the week. And so they were to give on the first day of the week. It was the first and the best, not their last and their leftovers. And then they were to, uh, as they did that, do it in proportion to your income, how much you're paid as you have prospered. And so uh, he calls us into this and then progress in it. Grow, grow in this. So Paul gave them this and then uh, went on to the churches in Macedonia, called them into the same concept of of generosity, giving to to uh, give relief to the church in Jerusalem. And a year went by and um, the churches in Macedonia, you know, responded really generously. And the church in Corinth went passive. He didn't hear from them. So in Second Corinthians, Paul readdresses this topic of generosity and calls them and move and asks them to move out of out of passivity and into taking responsibility in, in generosity. And so let's read that. It's in Second Corinthians, chapter eight. We're going to read verses one through 15. It says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own according, uh, own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had served, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Now, here's going to be our key verse. It says, as you excel in everything, 
in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your love, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he doesn't have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and that you are burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness as it is written. And he quotes a passage in Exodus where um, God took care of the children of Israel in the middle of nowhere, in the wilderness, where he provided manna. And they collected that manna every day. And here is the commentary on it. As, as it is written, whoever, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So Paul is calling him into this picture of generosity. And he's saying this. Let's look at that verse again. I think it's verse 7 there. He says, just as you excel in everything, uh, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love. In other words, they were loved by Paul also. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. We're to excel in the grace of giving. Just as they were to learn the scriptures and find out who God is. Just as they were to practice on proclaiming the gospel through their speech. Just as they were to know more and more about God and grow in a relationship with him. So they were also to apply themselves to being generous people. So what I want to do is talk about these two churches. Because Paul details the two churches. He details the church in Corinth. And he details the church in Macedonia. And by the way, I'm sorry for all my squeaking. I could always go to chalk. <laughs> so I'm trying hard not to squeak on this. But the two churches are, are different churches. He compares and contrasts them. The church in Corinth was a wealthy church. The church in Macedonia was a poor church. And if you want to know, the church in Corinth uh, was the jewel in the crown of the Roman Empire. It was a wealthy, wealthy town. It was rich in culture. It was rich in education. It would be kind of like um, an L.A. in the United States. Los Angeles. It would be one of those hipster kind of thing. They were very concerned about how people looked, how people dressed, how people spoke. It was that whole picture. They were a wealthy church. And in Macedonia, these are churches like Philippi and churches in like Thessalonica and uh, the Berean church, of which we read about in, in Acts. They were poor church. But out of that, out of that poor poverty, um, God welled up rich generosity. The church in Corinth was divided. The church in Macedonia was united. 
if you want to research this, read first and second Corinthians and you will take a look at all the things that the Apostle Paul addressed with them. They they were one of the key things they were doing is they were fighting. The church in in Macedonia was loving. What did Paul say when he wrote to the church in Philippi? I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So when when you would say church in Philippi, Paul would go, yes. They get it. They're loving one another. Paul, church in Corinth. Oh, yeah, man, they have been fighting. And they are constantly uh, questioning the word of God in their lives. Another word for the church in, in Corinth is they were, they were, con- they were fickle. The, the church in Macedonia was free. They were constantly going, why? Why does the Bible say that? Why do we have to live like that? Why? You know, you ever get that? And and then Macedonia was, of course, that's what God's word says. We'll do it because that's who we are. We're followers of Christ. If that's who Jesus is, people who are fickle always go, why? And so that's why we have a lot of chapters and a lot of, I mean, sometimes 53 verses in some of those, you know, chapters in the book of First of and Second Corinthians. Paul is going, OK, this is why. Let's, let's go back. Church in Corinth was constantly shifting. church of Macedonia was standing. They were standing on grace. They were standing on their faith, on, the, on a relationship with God, on the firm foundation that was given to them in the gospel. The, Corinth was always going, this is the word of God, but we want to live like this. Constantly shifting. And as a result, um, this, this church in Corinth was basically selfish. Paul called them out on it. Church of Macedonia was generous. That's why Paul said, you know, you've talked about being generous, but you didn't show up when your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, you talked about it, made a great church service, but you never showed up. You never gave. And that's why he said, look at this church out of their extreme poverty came rich generosity. Look at this. You talked about it. Get in the game. And then and then in Corinth, he talks about. Frankly, as they were living, they were living foolishly in the churches in Macedonia. He commended on the wisdom that they had. And, you know, as the church in, in Corinth, he would um, Paul would always say, when I came to you, I didn't come with you kind of tickling your ears with my great oratory skills. Matter of fact, I, my grammar, you know, much to be desired. But the wisdom of God is much greater than the foolishness of man. So he called them into that. So you have these two churches, and I'm just putting them out here. I know I'm slow pitching this morning, okay? But deal with me. If we were to just put a box at each one of them, which one do you want to be like? Okay, Macedonia, right? You said it. Well, some of you are going, well, I'd like to be wealthy like Corinth, but I'd like all these other things. <laughs> to happen here we always do but here let's just go there because ultimately we want to be rich towards god first right and if he blesses us with more so be it awesome but here i want to be like this i want to be a church of macedonia and paul said this is again we want to make you excellent excuse me we want to be excellent in giving We're called not just to 
to check the box. We're called to be excellent in something. So how do you become excellent in giving? Paul's going to just tell us that. He showed us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and he's going to show us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Number one is you have to participate. You have to participate. You can't be on the sidelines. You can't be talking about it. The first thing you have to do, he says, each of you, I want to call you into this. Get in the game of generosity. We have to participate. You know, I love to watch the NFL. And I love to watch as many games as I can. And I am an excellent watcher of the National Football League. But look at me. I will never play in the NFL. I can't be excellent in that. I can be an excellent watcher, but I can't. I will never get into one of those games. And if I do, they'll arrest me and tackle me and all those kinds of things. That's the only way I'm on the field. So we can be good watchers of generosity around us. We can even be good receivers. All of us are really good receivers. We talked about this up to the point. It's really good to receive things. But we'll never be excellent in anything that we don't participate in. So we're called into that. Paul says that. And as you participate... Make it a priority. That's the second thing, to be excellent in something. you got to make it a priority. And with God, when we treasure him, he gets our first and our best, right? Uh, rather than our last and our leftovers. A lot of us are giving God our last and our leftovers. Whatever I got. Whatever I got left after everything is all paid for. And I would just question whether or not you treasure God if we do that. Joe, I can't afford to give. Well, you know what? I look at my time. There's a lot of things I can't afford to do. That's why I have to prioritize what I do with my time. And everything that I treasure gets my first and my best. If I love my wife, she gets my first and my best. That's why I've had to really discipline myself around those first 30 seconds that I see my wife in the day. Or the first 30 seconds. When I come home from work, I'm not, you know, talking on the phone. Hey, how you doing? You know, I do this to my wife. Hey, good to see you. You know, see that? That's not your first and your best. Okay, so you you don't take a call and you say, no, for my 30 seconds, I'm going to say, I love you. And I'm going to give her a kiss right in front of the boys, too. Yeah, I'm going to do that. (laughs) I'm going to do that because I've started to think, how can I prioritize my my wife? How can she be a treasure to me? Um, I also look at what are my last 10 seconds with my wife? Do I say I love you? Do I look her in the eyes or do I just keep the screen going, you know, right in front of me? Yep. See you later. You know, that kind of thing. No, she gets my first and my best. And God is the same way. He needs to get be the priority in our lives. And then we're called into a percentage. Paul says, in proportion to your income. So it's a percentage. It's not amount, an amount. And why is this important? Because all of us can give. And we're to give out of what God has prospered in our lives. If we make nothing, we're to give nothing. Because we don't have anything. And that's how God takes care of us. He uses other people to help us in those types of environments. And, he, and if we who have been blessed by him were to give him a percentage of it, not an amount. If I said everyone just give $100, you'd check that box. Everybody give 10%. <gasps> yeah, we've had that. We've had some people go, <gasps> when we talk about 10%. And I've liked having this conversation, even though it's controversial in many of your lives. Even though you get ticked, and, and I even get the pushback, I only get the tip of the iceberg, you guys have to live with it, okay? <laughs> and, and so the, the tip of the iceberg is, are you kidding? Do you know how much that is? And that's okay to have that conversation. It's okay to have that conversation. We will talk about the elephant in the living room. 
because we're a family who does that. We're not going to push it under the rug. You can't do that anyway. So the whole picture is if you're giving out of percentage, then this will automatically happen. You will progress in your giving. There will be progress. If it's a percentage, the more you make, guess what? The more you give, you'll automatically progress. And if you don't make what you did last year, you would give less. Why? Because it's all based on what God has entrusted you with. That's why last week when we asked you to go and get 10% of your food, and you guys looked at your home, and you got 10% of your food, and you bought it back here, and we gave to the Topeka Rescue Mission to feed families who were in need in this city. And you guys raised over four tons of food. That was awesome, isn't it? Yes, you can clap what God can do through us. I just bought my little box. I just bought my little box. Here's my canned goods. Okay, that's all I brought. But you, when we all came in together, four tons. Four tons. Me, four or five cans. You, all together, tons. This week, we went and we looked at 10% of our clothing. And we went and we looked at that. Not, I told you, do not go out and buy. Only take only give what you've already been given. So if you don't have many clothes, 10%, maybe one item, so that we all can be a part of this. And you know, we just got incredible stories already. Different people going, that's it? I am so blessed. One lady said, said to me, she said, uh, I went, I gave 10%, and then I looked back in my closet, and I looked at my three favorite outfits. And I went and I got those and I put them in the bag. And that person will never know how important those outfits were to me. But it was so freeing to do that. She was freed. Because those things we treasure when we give those to God, we just open up. We become more free in our worship with him. So, yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable sometimes. But in order to be excellent in giving, we have to participate, make it a priority. It's going to involve a percentage of something in our lives. And we're going to progress as as we do that. Now, you just take out giving and you put in what you want there. If it's excellent in business, it will involve you participating in the active business and running a company and making it a priority in having it be a percentage of your time and energy and, and the progression of you becoming better at it. If it's football, if it's soccer, if it's baseball, whatever, if it's education, it's going to be involved in this because anything we become excellent involves these four principles. And Paul is saying, be excellent in giving. Let's be more like Macedonia and not Corinth in this whole picture of excellence. So how are we living? How are we living? This is the second dimension of generosity. And it's the practical dimension based. It's, it's not. This is what God's word says. We can all say, yeah, this is that's that's what God's word says. But how do we live? How are we living? Well, over the past few years, I've struck up a relationship with uh, a man in, in Bucharest, Romania, who's a pastor, fellow pastor. His name is Radu Aprera. And uh, here he is. He is right in the middle. He's got the red shirt on with the beard and the mustache. And that's his church. And exactly a year ago, I don't know if you remember this, exactly a year ago, I was there in Romania and I was doing a uh, family conference and a marriage conference for their church. It's a church of about 200 people. And uh, Radu and his family and all the other families of that church came and we worked out different values for those families to show in their lives. 
And I started talking to him because uh, we Skype almost weekly. And and so on Skype, I was just telling him, hey, I'm doing this series on on uh, not Romania, on, on generosity. And I'd like to know, tell me about your church there. And so he kind of shared. He shared about the church in Romania. And I just kind of put it up of, you know, well, here's the church in Topeka. And uh, he said, we have 90 giving families at at um, at Berean uh, at Bethany Baptist Church in in Bucharest, Romania. Here in Topeka. We have eleven hundred and thirty two unique giving people or families in our congregation. Last year, the average um, the amount that they gave, the amount that they gave was a thousand dollars per per uh, per family or per person who gave. And here in Topeka, we gave one thousand five hundred and ninety dollars per per family. Now, I, I will say that our incomes are a little bit different. Actually, they're a lot different. The average family, the household income in Romania is eighty four hundred dollars. The average uh, household income in Shawnee County is fifty thousand um, dollars. And the percentage is we were just looking on how much they're giving. They were around twelve percent and we're just about three percent. So if we were just to pull back and just make a quick observation between the two churches, um, they. They made. Six times less than we did last year, and they gave four times more. The reason I, I do that, I'm not looking at amounts because it's percentage giving, right? So three goes into 12. How many times? Just I'm not rocket science. Four times. Yeah. So they do that. And and eighty four hundred goes into 50, just around that six times. So you can go, oh, Joe, but to live in Romania is not like in the United States. I mean, things cost less there. Anyone could live on eighty four hundred dollars. Well, they work in liters on gasoline and they drive. They drive like we do um, right now. And I did this computation out of liters. Gasoline is eight dollars a gallon in Romania in Bucharest right now. And this morning on my way to church, gas at 29th and Urish at the Dillons there, just in case you're interested, is three dollars and forty four cents. And we're going the audacity of you know, the economic impact of three dollars and forty four cents. This does affect giving, by the way, it does affect giving, because when we give out of our last and our leftovers, this eats up and it's not a priority to us. So it affects us if we're giving out of our last and our leftovers and eight dollars a gallon. Where would you be at that? See, it would change a lot about us, but it hasn't changed their giving. By the way, one more thing. It's a reforming communist uh, culture. And so most of them work for the government. Last year, if you were part of the um, European Union, of which Romania is part of, you would probably regret Romania being in there because they're tanking the European Union. Uh, you think we have issues in Greece. You ought to look in Romania. And last year, the government said to all government employees, and I know we are in a capital city, so many of you work for the government, 30 percent wage reduction in that one year. 
30% wage reduction. You see, this amount went down from the previous year, but it's still here. It's still here. So let me just ask you, and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do this with you. Which church out of these two looks more like like Macedonia? Which one? Romania does, doesn't it? Now, I, I don't want to go through each of those items, but in the area of generosity, where, where are we? Sadly, we look more like Corinth than we do Macedonia. And I know Corinth is normal. It's hip to be there because we want things and we want we like things and we like to accumulate things. But the reality is it's normal is not godly. It's not. And I'm here to call you into godliness. I was reading this story this week about the um, a mother bird when she has her chicks in the nest. And when she's fed them and they come up to a level of maturity where they actually have wings, but they don't realize it. She pushes them, literally pushes them out of the nest. And uh, from the perspective of the chick, it's like, what's going on? I mean, you just brought the food to me and you fed me and everything. Now you're kicking me out of the nest. And she kicks them out of the nest and... Halfway down through the free fall, they go, the natural reaction, and all of a sudden they can fly most of the time. They fly. (laughs) They fly. And they go, wow, I have wings. And they're much more mobile. And they can start providing for themselves. And there's always that one chick, and I love this on nature programs, when they show that last chick that's hanging on with a talon onto the corner of the nest, and the mother reaches over and goes, gee, 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 on, the, on the, the talons of the little chick. And, you know, I'm going like, wow. And all of a sudden it flies. And, and it realizes, this is what I am. I'm a bird. And birds fly. And so that's why we say it. What do birds do? They fly. What do fish do? They swim. What do horses do? They run. What do people do? They give. I know you weren't going there intuitively. (laughs) You weren't going there. That's why Paul says, have this mind in you. Take a look at our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor for your sake so that in him you might become rich. You see the pattern? You are a Christian. That means a Christ follower. You reflect the generosity of Jesus. And so we're to do this. We're to follow this pattern that we're to move into getting into the game and participate. (laughs) We're to be people who take the priority and giving God our first and our best. We're the people who give Out of a percentage. I mean, don't let 10% hold you back. We all have to grow in this. And we're people who need to progress. Which is why my wife and I had a great conversation this week. We said, okay, we got to start. We're living this stuff, right? So as I talk about progressing in our congregation, what's it going to look like for us? Well, we've decided to give another percent of our income. Uh, as, as we look at this, an, an extra percent of our income to the Lord forever, whatever he wants to do here at Fellowship Bible Church, because we want to grow in this. 
We don't want to hold our percentage at, you know, that's all we're going to do. We're going to continue to give. We're going to be generous. And my wife just said, wonderful. She said, yeah, of course. Let's do that. I thought, man, I love you. I love you because there's so many marriages that fight over this thing. And folks, it's killing us. It's killing our marriages. Finances is the number one right now reason families are divorcing and breaking up. Because they don't talk about it. They spend it. They create pressure. They get into debt and slavery. And it just eats their lunch. And the reality is we could be excellent in giving. And that will have so much overflow into the rest of our lives. So it's going to require us. It's going to require us to get on the path of generosity. There needs to be a point in our lives where we quit criticizing, quit being skeptical, quit being on the on the, uh, you know, just the negative side of generosity. Quit holding your beliefs which aren't holding up. That's that's what I love about this is as as people give us pushback, we just keep going back to the Bible. Wait a minute. Who owns it all? Do you believe that God does? God is the owner and giver of everything. Yes or no? No, I don't believe he does. Okay, then don't give. Because you'll never win that way. Do you believe that Christ needs to be your greatest treasure? No, I think money needs to be my greatest treasure. How's that working out for you? Look at Hollywood. Look at Wall Street. It's not working. In the extreme environments where that's the treasure, it's not Working. You don't have to be wealthy to be greedy. Just wanting that occupies, preoccupies and distracts. And the reality is get on the path. Don't you think it's a time for a new direction? Get on the path. And what you'll find is God's going to take you on an adventure. And there's going to be some difficulties. There's going to be some challenges. But ultimately, he's going to bring you to a point where you see a peak. And you arrive at the peak. And the getting to the peak is going to allow, you know, it's going to call you to be persistent. It's going to call you to progress. So you never stay at the same altitude in giving you. But you grow and you progress in that and you reach the peak. Just a few months, our sixth graders in the mountain program here are going to go out to Colorado and they're going to climb a 14er. It's 14,000 feet above sea level. And they're going to go far above the tree line. And I remember doing this because I did it with my two sons. And I had to get on the path. Now, I got there and I looked and I saw the peak. I mean, I'm from Kansas. We don't see peaks a whole lot. But I saw the peak and I said, wow, I, this is overwhelming. There's no stinking way. And then the altitude got into me and I started on the path and I took that next step. And then we got beyond the flowers to the rock. And then we got into heavy breathing. I know that was me. And I was, you know, my my ego pushed me most of the way because I didn't want to be shown up by the other dads on the trip. But I had to be persistent and there came some difficult times, but we progressed and sometimes it was just do the next right thing. Step forward. That's all it is. Hishma. One next step. And then after that, another one. And so as we, we finally got to the top of the mountain and we looked down and we looked at the little matchbox cars that we drove to the trailhead. And I just said, that's where we used to be. See, up here, I got perspective. I saw everything that we did. And I, I mean, a huge adrenaline rush. 
I would have never seen that if I would have stayed to the side of the path and just criticized at the bottom of the mountain. They don't ever get to the top and they never see a different perspective. And in generosity, it's the same thing. We've got to get to the other side of generosity. See, that's where God wants us to be. That's what reflects the love and the generosity of Jesus Christ. We have to get to this side of generosity. And it seems insurmountable here, but every little step as we participate, discover where you want to be. What does participation look like? And that's why we've put it out that all the giving in the month of May is going to be the giving for the rest of the year. What you give in May, we want you to give every month at Fellowship Bible Church so that this series isn't just a little, you know, Hishma gave us a big, you know, preaching lesson. We got whooped up by him, feel a lot of guilt and shame. Here, God, take it. You know, we don't want that. And I know we're already upset a little child with this concept, but just hang with me. It's going to be who we are. We've got to spread our wings and realize we were made to do this. We were made to do this. And you know what? On this side, everyone who's generous, they realize this in their life. Their life is really, it's fully funded. It's it's free. It's no longer in slavery to debt, in slavery to materialism or things. You know what? Inside and outside the church, you don't even need to believe in God for this to be true. Why? Because all truth is God's truth, right? Outside of the church, they said generous people are people who have more money. They're free from debt because they've worked out a structure. They've prioritized They're spending so that the most important becomes the first and the best. You know what? I've realized that. That's that promise from God. And, And I would just say this. If you could be honest and just type out where all your money has gone in the last year, and you were to just show that to me, a third person, and I were, I'd make no judgment on you. I would just make observation from where the money went. If I, if God's eyes saw that, would he be willing to entrust you with more? Have you used what he's already given you to advance his kingdom? Or are we just consuming it all or over consuming it all? You see, our government right now is living on 134% of its income. Our families are living on 102 and 104. Unlike our government, we don't have a room downstairs that we can just say, fire up the printing press and print more money. We can't do that. So it's killing us. It's killing us. And I want something better for you. I want you to get to the peak of generosity. I want this to be an excellent church in generosity. Everyone loves those who are excellent in generosity. It's just we don't all like to jump in that path. We've got to start somewhere. They also learned that that life goes beyond the walls. You know, if you want to understand what a church in Corinth is, take your family on a camping trip. (laughs) Keep them contained in a camping environment. And you realize there's bickering, there's fighting, there's all this kind of stuff. But serve with your family. 
love with your family. Have people over with your family and they start realizing it's not just about the Hishma family. It's about something greater. People are important to us and serving people. That's that's life beyond the walls. Right now, 17 percent of our income from this church goes outside of the walls of this church into the community and around the world to advance the gospel. What would your budget look like? Would you be proud to have a budget of 17% in generosity? See, if you disagree with me on this, the reality is, if I could trace generosity in your life, I would throw a red flag. Because you can't criticize it if you are. I've rarely had anyone come to me and go, well, I've given 10%. It is a bummer. I hate it. And I don't love God anymore. (laughs) Never. Never had that. See, because it's something that when you get on the path to, God grows a greater heart for himself and a heart for others. Could we trace this, a life beyond yourself? And then worshiping, to worship him fully. No strings attached. No strings attached. God, you can have everything. You have my wife, you have my children, you have my job, you have my position, you have my finances. Everything is yours. That's what we're called to see. The Old Testament is really particular in pointing out are what gods we put in front of God. And if anything is there, that's why the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me because we're worshiping beings. God has created us to worship. And I could look at your checkbook and I could tell you what you're worshiping. Anyone could. It doesn't have to be me. So we want to worship fully with everything God has given us. And ultimately, at the peak, there is joy. There is joy. There's very little joy when you jump on the path. (laughs) Because you see what's ahead of you. But there's a lot of joy at the peak. Folks, this is a movement. This is a movement that we're calling all of our church into. And if we could excel in generosity... I mean, we are talking about endowing future generations with the gospel. Our average age here at Fellowship Bible Church is 28 years old. Average age. If at 28 years old we could establish patterns, we could become more excellent in our giving. We could grow in this grace of giving. Think about it. The average age in people in church in America is in the upper 60s, early 70s. That generation... Sorry, is closer to death than a 28 year old. Think of how many lives a church that has an average age of 28 can affect. Think about how our city can can we can bless our city by serving people. No strings attached. Think about what your life could be. Think about what your children could be like when they're more generous, when they really get it, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's who God wants us to be. Let's be excellent. Let's excel in this grace of giving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you so much for the incredible gift of Jesus, who was rich in heaven and became poor on earth, so that by his sacrifice, by his gift of the cross, we would receive The forgiveness of sins. I thank you that we could never pay you for that. There's nothing I could do to pay it or to earn it. But Lord, just as a response of reflecting it, I thank you for calling us into what you do. You give. You've always given to us. 
Thank you for entrusting everything to us that we've been given. And may we excel in the grace of giving. For it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.